Hi, and welcome to Found. I'm Daryl Eddington, and I'm here with my main character, Jordan Crook. She's the main character in my story. <laughs> wow. That is quite the privilege. You are not the main character in my story, but you are definitely like a foil, maybe. Okay. You're not the antagonist. Like, that's not the right. That's not right. We're two peas in a pod. You can't be the antagonist in my story. So. All right. You know, I was like, oh, Jordan's the main character. I'm a supporting character. I thought that was very nice. And maybe. Yeah, I'd... supporting. Maybe like an opposite, like the leading man. There, there you go. All right. I mean, I'll settle for that, I guess. Just It's, it's almost as nice as my thing. Not quite. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we are here hosting Found, which is TechCrunch's podcast all about entrepreneurs, all about startup founders, the people doing the work of building new companies that never existed before, which is really cool when you think about it. Every week we talk to a different one. We hear all about their experiences. We never know what we're going to get when we speak to these founders. And their stories truly are very surprising, very inspiring, and we're thrilled to bring you another episode. This week's guest is Lindsay Chepkema. She is the founder of Casted, which, appropriately enough, is a podcasting startup. So their focus is specifically on creating podcasting tools for enterprise customers who are doing B2B marketing podcasts. It's one of those ideas where I'm like, I wish I had that idea because it's so close to things that I actually enjoy doing, except there's money involved. All of my ideas are the same, except then there's no money involved in them. <laughs> but Monetization is not our skill set yet. No, no. But Jordan, what did you think about our conversation with Lindsay? Well, I thought, Lindsay, it was an interesting because you talked about how different all of our guests are. And Lindsay was no exception to that. Lindsay clearly does come from a marketing background and you could like feel that. But like when I say that, it almost gives the idea that she lacks authenticity. I actually think it was the exact opposite. And then I love when traditionally consumer like scale based products find their way into the enterprise. Right. Like there's something about that that is just really exciting. Yeah. And I think Lindsay's story is another one of those ones where it's kind of like an archetypical founder story where she was spending all her time in her previous professional life kind of like doing this thing and seeing this thing be really popular and then realizing like well what if we took this and made it able to scale and able to be profitable at scale so it's very cool that she was kind of living and breathing this stuff and now she's doing it as her main focus and she is polished, right? One of our guests who I think is the most polished. If you're like one of those podcast listeners that loves the sweet, sweet sound of a voice coming through a sick ass microphone, you're going to enjoy this one. It's, it's high quality. I'm the lowest quality on this episode, sadly. Yeah, this is definitely the closest our podcast gets to being an ASMR show. So we hope you enjoy <laughs> Lindsay, welcome to Found. Great to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. One of the reasons that I reached out to you, one was that we got a recommendation from a colleague of ours here at TechCrunch, but another was, you know, once she sent it over, I was like, oh, podcast platform. Mm. Well, we got to have that because it's so meta. So good job starting a podcast related startup. <laughs> I assume this you is, did it just for us, right? I, I did. Everything is coming to fruition. Though, so thank you. Perfect. Yes. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so prescient that you knew this show that didn't exist like two, three weeks ago was going to exist. Yes. I, I was just really, really putting a lot of eggs in one basket. So I'm, I'm really glad it worked out. <laughs> but actually, can you give us the elevator pitch on Casted? Which, I mean, honestly, yeah, I was I saw the idea. I was like, this is a great idea. But uh, I'll let you explain. Explain. Yeah. 
Sure. So elevator pitch, as sweet and condensed as possible. We make it possible for marketing teams, specifically, you know, mid-market enterprise marketing teams, harness the power of audio and video content as the center of their marketing strategy and really their sales and marketing strategy. So great conversations like these are harnessed by marketing teams because and, and, and turned back out to their audiences because it's the kind of content that audiences want. And then also you know, through Casted, we help you bring it out and amplify that content across other channels, you know, use it on your blog posts and enable your sales team with it, get it out on your social media. So from one conversation, you know, many, many points that you can distribute out to your audience and get more value out of everything and then measure how it's all actually impacting the brand, you know, as far as revenue and pipeline and overall business growth. Nice. Yeah. So I know Jordan likes to tease me with this. I have like a very limited amount of experience in the marketing world, but when asked for advice, I typically say like, make sure that you're capturing your customers' conversations and like providing them to people like when they are positive, right? It's like the number one thing that I think is actually effective, mm -hmm. right? And maybe I'm biased because I'm already in the content business, but like, it just seems like such a no brainer. When I was at Shopify, like that was most of our blog was just like customer stories, right? Yeah. So what's your background? What brought you to this idea? Yeah. So my background's in marketing, 15 years in B2B marketing, agency side, corporate side, small business, large global business, mostly in, in content and, and brand building. And during that time, I also kind of grew up in my career in the time of content marketing. You know, it was kind of a new thing when I got started in the early 2000s. And I saw it like make a whole lot of sense, change a whole lot of businesses, and then kind of become antiquated. And now so many marketing strategies, content marketing strategies are built around keywords and uh, search engine optimization right. instead of how can we really engage people? So it's serving algorithms over audiences. And that's so messed up. And it also is taking, you know, relatively junior, uh, early in their careers, content marketers who might be brilliant content marketers and saying, hey, go go be a ghostwriter on behalf of these subject matter experts, but also use lots of keywords. And also let's make sure we do it really like tons and tons at a high velocity so that we can outrank the competition. And then in our margin, then we'll also create the content that our audiences really want, like what we're right. doing right now. And so that's backwards. It's broken. And you know, it's not efficient. It's not effective. And so throughout the years, I said, what if, what if we changed that? What if we started at a different place, started with conversations, started with those conversations with customers and partners and industry experts and just people that our audience would want to hear from, capture that, that conversation as audio and video content and use that as a center point. Start there, turn it into the content that your audience wants, bring it out across other channels so that you're, you're fueling all areas of your strategy and started doing that in my past life, right before starting Casted and realized, wow, this is very manual. There's there's no there's no software that does this. Like this is this is putting a lot of a lot of burden on our team to do it all manually. And as the marketing leader, I, there's no way to measure it. Right. Like I had no way to say, okay, we're doing this thing. We're harnessing the power of conversations. It seems like it's working really well, but I don't know what it's doing for the business. And so we we set out to change that and say, what if we made that platform that helped teams approach content marketing in a different way, make their teams more effective, the content more engaging, and the whole process just a whole lot more impactful for the business. Jordan, did you notice that that was like, it was like Lindsay was just describing the media business as well, <laughs> Yeah, right? like, the media business and also this podcast, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of time, you know, trying to optimize for machines as well, right? In the media business. And I think we've gone through these various, and you target different things depending on what the fashion is at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And Video is the big one on Facebook. Then you get back to this point of this, like, I mean, it's kind of a core truth, but like 
Well, remember, we ultimately have to serve people or else no one really gets any benefit out of this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's nice that there's a parallel there. But I mean, when you were doing this and you were bringing this to companies you were at, like before you were starting your own thing, like what was kind of the response there from other marketing leaders? Yeah, I mean, always good. Because when it, I mean, pre podcasting and and video content, right? So earliest days when I was at an agency, the more you can humanize a brand, the better, Mm. right? And to your point, this sounds like the media world too. I mean, how long has everybody been saying the most effective brands, like the brands of tomorrow and the most successful brands are are media companies, right? The ones that think about their audience and how can we engage our audience and inform our audience and entertain our audience with really, really great content. And the ante just keeps getting higher and higher. But I think uh, to me, when I was putting together content strategies, it's that frame of mind. It's how can we create really engaging content? And, you know, to your point, that that's kind of changed over time as far as what format that is and what's the length of that content. And is it is it written? Is it, you know, do we actually put together an online magazine? Do, you know, is, yeah, it, it's taken on different forms. But most recently, when it was audio and video content, right before starting Casted, it went really well. I mean, we had this global team. I was at a global enterprise. We had people around the world that were like, this is great. Like, I I feel more connected to the company, like internal culture. I have something that I can take to a customer and say, hey, this is an example of another customer talking about, you know, it's not a direct case study, but I can say this is our customer. They achieved these results. And the underlying thing is that it was all with, you know, working with this company. Like, so I have a use case that I can use. It, It grew the audience size. It grew our traffic. But I, again, I had no way to really measure it in really definitive ways. But yeah, I think anytime you can say we're going to humanize the brand and we're going to find great results, it's usually pretty well received. It's also <laughs> something I think about, like, we're seeing this too with like Clubhouse and stuff like that, where there's something about audio that transcends text. Because I actually believe like you should never watch the news or listen to the news on the radio without having read it first, mm. right? Because like there's a real specificity with the words mm-hmm. and the way they're chosen and the order that they're in when it's written. Yeah. Whereas when you're talking, like you can get ahead, your mouth can beat your brain sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the flip side and the benefit to that is that, like you said, like you not only become more human, right? By hearing yep. like actual conversations, you essentially eliminate buzzwords, except for those that are like highly media trained or they're hitting yep. hitting their keywords or whatever. And it almost feels more honest and intimate. So you're like, oh, I'm yep. listening to your actual voice. I'm hearing your personality, like the cadence with which you speak and your intonations, right? Like gives yep. me this picture in my mind of this real human being and not like, you know, impact driven, purpose driven, you know, right. buzzword bullshit. And that makes yeah. a huge difference. It's true. I mean, yeah, just like right now, people are listening in on our conversation and that makes them feel good on things. You know, it, it is. It's much more connective. There's a difference between that and the news article about Cassid, mm-hmm. which was also mm-hmm. good and informative and teaches things. But there's a huge difference between those two items, you know? It's true. The worst part, the equivalent of media is the press release, right? And then the canned quote in the press release where you're like... No one ever even said that. Like, it, <laughs> it only exists in writing, right? We all accept that, like, yeah, someone said it, right? But it it was never said. Yeah. It was crafted and then put in there in most cases. So on the corporate side, there's an equivalent, right? Like, whenever you get internal corporate comms, you're like, well, I think this is, you know, sure, it's from the CEO, but it's actually, like, her internal publicist team has, like, produced this yep. for the purposes of internal comms, and it's very massaged, and it doesn't leave me feeling connected at mm-hmm. all, right? Yeah. But the podcast does, right? It's true. And we, our sweet spot really is in, you know, you think content marketing, you think a podcast that goes along with that. But 
internal podcasts are are growing, especially over this last year, where regardless of whether, you know, how large your team is or whether you're all, you know, within a five mile radius of each other, or if you're truly distributed around the world, people want to hear from people. They want to see people. And so, yeah, I could write a newsletter to my team, but it'd be a lot more effective to record a podcast. I actually do that for our board. I do an internal podcast before each of our board meetings where they actually hear me and anybody else on my team who might be in on the meeting talking about like what I'm really excited about, what I want to make sure we talk about in the meeting, some of our numbers, and it goes along with a pre-read. And then they've kind of, they've literally heard from me before we jump in and you'd have to ask them. But I feel like as a result, we're, we're a lot more connected and our, we're building relationships even when we're not together in real time. I feel like that's a great way to, to handle like board governance because mm-hmm. if you're distributing <laughs> a bunch of materials, like who knows, right? Like somebody might read them, might not. They're most yep. of the time, hopefully, if they're <laughs> good governors like they are, but you might have a director show up and be like, I didn't read any of this shit, right? And yeah. now I'm just coming fresh. But you're much more likely, I think, to read engage with a podcast, especially mm-hmm. if you're like, well, I like this founder. Like, that's why I invested in them to begin or, with, right? Yeah, I mean, or I read it and I, like, picked out this singular number or item that I care so much about randomly because I feel like this is this thing I can peck at for an hour and a half. When in reality, if they listen to the podcast, then really Lindsay's like, Hey guys, here's a few things that we should think about, right? And like, yeah. here's some things I want you to focus on. They're yeah. like, oh, that's the the little seed that's growing in my in my head right now. I want to focus yeah. on that instead. So you're saying it's better for manipulating your dream? Yeah, but yeah, it sounds a little manipulative. I'm sorry, that's who I am as a person. Okay, I hear that and I think mind control, but I love it. I'm so into it. This is Dear great board, now if we're you're listening, get... that is not the attention, the intent of the cast and podcast. Thank you. PSA yeah. concluded. We're gonna get love internal it. like Jordan podcast now at TechCrunch for management. And- <laughs> That should be the opener. Just take that and use that as a canned opener. Just use that clip as a canned opener. It feels a little manipulative. I like it. it. (laughs) So you mentioned like, you know, you were doing this at agencies and you were seeing good results, but you also noticed a lack of technology, right? So there's like, those are clear motivators from just the opportunity perspective. But what about like personal motivators? Like, why did you even want to build a startup to begin Mm. with? Yeah. So from seeing an opportunity and kind of the entrepreneur side, there was just such a need. I, I just couldn't believe like that what I needed didn't exist. So there, there was that. And I think that's kind of the seed for a lot of companies. So I set out to be the change I wanted to see. For me personally, when I started to say, am I really you know, having conversations with my husband? I have three kids. It was like, am I really going to leave this career in marketing? In 15 years, I have a master's degree in marketing. Like I'm a marketing nerd, people. Mm. Am I going to leave that to go figure out if I can be a CEO and and first time founder? And what's that going to be like? There were times where I'm like, heck, yeah, I am. And then there were other times that were like, I don't know. Really? Is that, is that do I want to do that? But what it came down to, I think somebody asked me was like, but what if you don't? Like, what if somebody else goes and starts this company and it's not you? And I was like, oh, that would crush me mm, uh, for so yeah. many reasons. Like, I just couldn't imagine not doing it. That and also and a third point. I realized along the way, the thing I love more than anything else, I I had a a coach that I work with and she's also like a a dear friend of mine. And we were talking about what I really wanted to do. And she's like, if you won the lottery, uh, I know that you wouldn't just go sit on a beach. Like, what would you do? And through lots of exploration there, I was like, I, regardless of what it is, I would create something. My, my deepest passion is creating something that doesn't already exist. Right. And so when she helped me see that that's what this would be doing, you're creating, yes, you're creating a product. Yes, you're, you're fulfilling an opportunity that exists, but like you're also creating a 
team that doesn't exist yet. You're creating a workplace that doesn't exist yet, a brand that doesn't exist yet. And I was like, oh, yes. Okay, this is what I have to do. And again, I just couldn't imagine not doing it. Wow. That's a motivation that I think is often overlooked. I don't hear it mentioned that much. And I'm glad you brought it up. Like you have the opportunity, even if the thing doesn't work, right? Let's say like worst case scenario, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe you just go get a seed in like a series A and then it's putters out or something like that, Mm -hmm. right? You, You have the opportunity to set up a workplace to hire and work with a bunch of people who otherwise wouldn't work in that field and that job. Wouldn't know each other, probably. Wouldn't know each other. Yeah, yeah. You just create so much opportunity. You create economic benefit. Like, you know, at at the very worst, you're just unlocking some money from wealthy people who are sitting on it doing nothing anyway, right? So it's that's a really good motivation and just not one that comes up very often. Well, and you're, like, testing your own, like, creative skills as well, like, across all different verticals, right? Like, you said that you're a marketing geek, and I'm sure that, like, stuff like brand building, right, is something that would really excite you because you're like, oh, I have all of these tools, right? Yeah. But then there's this whole other thing that's like, you know, and you've led teams and stuff, but like, you know, hiring a bunch of people or creating like a workplace culture, some of the stuff that like is way outside your wheelhouse, you're like, oh, okay, I get to flex all these different kind of muscles yeah. too. 100%. I mean, and I'm, I love learning. I think when you jump into founder seat. That's what it's all about. It's constant learning, constant learning, because no one's ever done this before. No one's ever been the founder of Casted before. Like, and tomorrow is, is a new experience that no one's ever had before. And so it's constant learning and being outside your comfort zone all the time, which again, when you're, when you're really in touch with your why, and like, I know that okay, once upon a time, I realized that I really, I really, really love building something that doesn't exist before. That requires stepping outside your comfort zone. That requires a lot of learning. That makes it all, even in the really hard times when you're raising capital or things are tough, you're in a pandemic. Having that why and remembering your why is super important. Another thing you mentioned there also brought up something that me and Jordan regularly talk about on the show, which is how <laughs> how ill-suited for startup life we two are. <laughs> uh, we just lack any kind of like appetite for risk. (laughs) But I mean, that's the part where did you always have that? Like, did you always have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit even before you were an entrepreneur? Or was that a product of having identified this opportunity? Well, it's funny because I people have asked me, especially, you know, as founder. So we've always been really about risk. And I'm like, well, I'm not jumping out of planes. So I've never thought of myself as a very, you know, risky person. But you know, I, I started my own company before where it was just, I was, I was doing consulting. So it was not venture backed. I wasn't building a team, but like I did that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think it's always been there, but I think until you actually jump out and do something like this, you're like, oh, there it is. I guess that's always been there until the right opportunity comes along. I, I also I have three kids when my oldest was not quite two and a half. I had twins and mm-hmm. so, and they're all boys. And so it's like, if I can do that, <laughs> I can, sur- I can surely do anything. <laughs> and so I think I think just kind of betting on yourself and and being confident that you're going to see it through and surround yourself with the people who can help, that makes risks seem a whole lot less risky, right? Did you have a moment like after you'd taken the initial risk, right? Because there's always like a, a no turning back point. Buyer's remorse. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Did you did you what did you have like a moment where you're like, oh, shit, what have I gotten myself into? And like, why did you have it and how did you get out of it? So not after I jumped out of the plane, so to speak. I think I had a lot of apprehension 
going down this path of this metaphor, like um, getting on the plane, <laughs> putting on a parachute, looking outside, you know, looking down to the ground that was so just getting further and further away. Again, just because I had I had spent so I spent 15 years building a career in marketing to be a marketing leader and to lead a marketing team. And, you know, next steps is, you know, further into larger companies and CMO someday. Like that was the path. Right. And yeah, so there were times where I was like, of course, of course, this makes sense. This doesn't make no one else in this role makes any any more sense than me. And then there were other times that were like, I can't, why would I do this? Why would I, what mm. am I doing? But I think once I, once I jumped and started building and, you know, started thinking about the brand, started thinking about the opportunity, started mapping out the people, started talking to people. That was the first thing I spent the, the first few weeks doing is talking to people because I had lived it. I was our, you know, ideal customer, right? But I wanted to go talk to others. And so starting to talk about it and being like, hey, have you had this problem? You know, B2B podcasts. Here's the challenge. Yes, no, why, why not? What would you like to see if you had a magic wand? And like starting to have those conversations and getting the feedback of like, oh man, if you build this, that's awesome. Or like, mm. oh my gosh, this is such a need. I'm so glad you're doing this. That of course we were learning, of course we were taking things that turned into messaging and and our MVP of the product, but it was also really validating of like this is something that needs to happen, which really, really helped with that, uh, that buyer's remorse. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think once I jumped, I, I can honestly say I, I haven't, I haven't looked back. Honestly, I just really think this is a great idea. Maybe it's because I love podcasting, but I don't always <laughs> say that. And Jordan knows that I don't always think that the companies we cover are great ideas. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, yeah. I'm biased, but I agree. Yeah, no, Daryl's a hard threshold to pass through. That's why I'm a journalist and not a successful investor also. <laughs> Most of the ideas are like, these are bad. <laughs> that's why as a journalist, I cover other things in the business more so than which startups are going to win or lose because I think everything's cool. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> so we have both ends of the spectrum here. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found name of this podcast during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. When you started going to do the fundraising, mm -hmm. tell us about that. And was that like, did your confidence get shake, shaken at any time doing that? Or were you sort of exuding the confidence so much that the VCs were just like, take our money? I wish. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I had one pitch and they just they just wrote me a blank check. Um, both times, content. seed round and series A. Amazing yes. It's yeah. so easy, like, you guys. Just go fundraise. <laughs> Easiest Be thing confident. I ever did. Get the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So uh, so we raised a seed round, closed it January 2020. Who knew that that would have been, wow. it turned out to be exceptional wow. timing, right? Yeah. That was luck, honestly. I mean, just Whew. And then close our Series A in March. Announced it, you know, April sixth. So it didn't shake my confidence. I don't know about that. Was it hard? Hmm. Yeah. But I have just been so passionate and so excited 
about what we're building. And it helps that I, I mean, I have two incredible co-founders. I have this, the team is just brilliant and they're doing amazing things. And we've had really great traction and early momentum. It's never been questioning, like, was this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? I have believed that all along. What fundraising does do is it's frustrating and it's stressful. Mm. And I think for me, because I have believed it and it believed in us and believed in what we're building and believed in the opportunity so much that it's like, why, why couldn't that person see it? Like, or what was in me that I couldn't, I couldn't make them see it. They couldn't feel it. They couldn't see what I see. They couldn't feel what I feel or couldn't find the numbers, the data to accurately represent this vision, especially, you know, seed round. It's like, I just want them to get in my head and, and experience what I've experienced and have the conversations I've had to know that what we're doing is huge. And so, yeah, I think not so much confidence shaking, more definitely stressful and frustrating when people don't see what you see. But then when you find that you find the one or two or whoever, whatever that do, that's pretty cool. What was the ratio, I guess, when you were doing that to, and how did you sort of keep up your spirit when you're encountering all these no's? Oh man. Um, Probably for both rounds. I feel like the seed round was more conversations, more no's, more ghosting. I think that's partially maybe what happens at seed round. Right. Partially maybe me. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever done that before. So I didn't I didn't know that when somebody said, you know, what I don't know, whatever canned feedback it was, that they they were ghosting me. Like, right. <laughs> like we love you. This is so great. We'll talk to you next week. Like you'll never talk. <laughs> I learned like see I learned at series A, like, oh, they're they're done. They're a no. For a seed round, I was like, but they said that they liked me. They said they liked us. <laughs> they they said good they said they really liked the pitch. But I think as far as ratio, gosh, I don't know, lots, lot lots of lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations. Some turned into is a very very uh very precise numbers I'm giving you. Lots of conversation. <laughs> Some turned into next steps of those, you know, a few of those turned into like third steps. And, and you know, the further along you get, the more you build a relationship, which I think is is key. And then, you know, people tend to actually reach out and, and give you really good feedback. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have numbers for you. It just, it seemed like that's literally all I was doing for a few weeks. What have you learned from it, right? Like, you know, all goes well with this A, right? Mm-hmm. You build the features and scale the way that you want to, and you gear up in probably 12 to 15 months to go and raise the B. Mm-hmm. What do you change, right? About like, what did you learn mm-hmm. from the last two times to say like, this is how I'm going to go about this process this time? To try and alleviate some of that mm. frustration or to try to, you know, yeah. make it more efficient or whatever. One thing that I've learned is is that, and you hear it all the time, is that there's so so many things across the board change from, from round to round as far as what investors are looking for. And one thing that worked really well for us was just starting starting with the end in mind and working backwards, right? What what do we need to be true? What do I need to be true about the business before I even start right. thinking about the next round? I think that's even more the case at B, you know, because you have, you have that much more time, you have that much more mileage, you have that much more time to say, okay, we proved some repeatability, we proved some predictability, we proved patterns and processes, and we brought on some incredible leaders, and this is what we've done. And therefore, this is why you can rely on us to say this is where we're going. Whereas, you know, seed round is casting a vision. A is saying, look at how, how well we did with what little we had, and, you know, you can buy into it. But I think, for me, casting an even wider net next time around, I think that only does good things. I think sometimes you hear, you know, only talk to a few people or make sure you you really narrow down the list. But I think one thing that I found to be true is that more conversations, the better. Mm. Of course, there's a ratio. You can't fully pull yourself out of the business as a founder. Like you've got to stay really focused. But when you're really, really passionate and you're really, really 
authentic and, and you really believe in what you're doing, the more conversations you have, even if it's like, hey, this isn't a fit for me. You know, I've had people, investors in, uh, introduce me to other people or to potential customers along the way. And so I, I think the more conversations, the better. You always need to start earlier than you think you're going to because it's always going to take longer than you think it's going to. Right. So yeah, yeah, just probably just even more conversations. As we're talking, right, like you are screaming like missionary CEO to me, right? Like you obviously are incredibly passionate. You come from a marketing background. So I think there's a lot of like just positive. Obviously, there's a lot of strategy and numbers involved in in marketing, but there's also just, it's all wrapped in positivity mm -hmm. so much, right? Mm -hmm. um, very like cheerleader mentality. And so I'm wondering, like we talked about it earlier as a CEO, you have to wear many hats. Right. And you have to like be a lot of different people at different times with different stakeholders. Uh -huh. <laughs> what what do you feel like you have to work on the most as like being a CEO? Like what is the thing where you're like, ah, you're always learning. But like what piece of yourself are you kind of like growing and evolving? Yeah. The most consistent thing that I'm working on is staying ahead of things, not being reactive, mm. which sometimes is easier than others. I found, I remember after raising the seed round, and it's absolutely been true at Series A, so I'm, I'm glad that I have the frame of reference from last time around, is once I close the round and you make the announcement it's over, it's like, okay, wait, what do I do now? Wait, where do I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, I'm lost. Because no matter how much you're still in the business, like having focused so much on raising and closing the round to like, it's done, it's very disorienting. And then- There'd be a vacuum where that was, right? Yeah, and so- that thing that I'm working on to answer your your question is really, really being intentional about communication. And, you know, I, I'm a marketer, think about my different audiences. So there's the team, there's the board, there's our investors, there's potential investors, there's, of course, the market. And how am I not just reacting and just being like, I got an e I, I could literally just spend all day, so I'm sure many of us could, just responding to emails. Yeah. But like, how am I getting ahead of things and and really trying to stay there. When you're talking about that, like that's the big challenge for me is acknowledging that some of these things just aren't going to get done and I, I have to be removed from the plate, right? And mm -hmm. like, how do you make those choices in a CEO role at like a fast growth company, right? Because it would seem like there's so many potential landmines when you start dropping stuff. For sure. And I think I cannot overemphasize the value of the team right. and co-founders, right? So if you have the choice to go it alone or get co-founders, get co-founders. It's it's difficult. I think you have to, you really really have to be careful about who you bring on because in many ways, I mean, you're using like a marriage analogy, but it's it's true. I mean, you're linking yourself to these people for a long time, better yeah. or worse, ups and downs, really tough conversations, and you know these are the people that when you're raising around continue to run the business and that are really helping helping you to be intentional about culture. And so to your point, how do you, how do you prioritize? You work with a team and you, you, you try to get understanding about what their priorities are and what the business's priorities are and get feedback about how things are going and block out the time to make sure that the, the role that you are uniquely positioned to play, you have the ability to be intentional about it. Can we talk about co-founders? I mean, first of all, I have to note that this may be the seventh episode in a row where we've used the marriage analogy, and I completely agree. Yeah. Either with co-founders or investors, co it comes or, up in yeah, both. Yeah, it's both a legally yeah. binding. There was a lot more paperwork <laughs> financially with involved. this than there was with my marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about co-founders because, you know, I've heard almost every entrepreneur would say, yes, it's better with a co-founder. It's better with like a partner to kind of share the load. But I, we've also seen historically so many founder disputes. 
And the funny thing is, like, of the ones we've seen, there are dozens that we don't see or hear about, right? Where things right. fizzle and implode six months in or whatever. And I guess I'm curious, like, how do you balance things? Like, for example, I assume as a marketer and as the CEO, you're the face of a lot of stuff, right? And maybe they don't get as much credit, even though they're co-founders. And like, or and that's just one of what could be a billion things to go wrong. When two people mm -hmm. are so tied together and their lives are so wrapped up together, a billion things could go wrong. So I am just curious, like how, how do you navigate something like that? How do you make sure you're in sync, but you're not overbearing? How do you make sure that you're working together well and that everyone's happy? Yeah, oh man. I feel like they need to be on the last call. <laughs> Adam, Zachary, are you, are you there? No, this is the beauty of it. They, <laughs> they can't, can't answer. Do it. They're can literally just, just going to listen oh. to what your answer is. It's high pressure situation. <laughs> How to respond here. I think, you know, for us early on, so Adam and Zachary, Adam heads up the product side of the business, Zachary heads up the revenue side of the business, and I have, have lived the lives of our audience, right? So I'm the domain expert. Adam and Zachary have been friends for a very long time, since like middle school or something. And so, and, and we kind of worked together before at the same company, but not, I didn't really, didn't really know each other. And so the way this came to be is I kind of put feelers out there and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. If anybody knows anybody, I need somebody to come in and help me build the thing. Long story short, we ended up coming in on this thing together, of course. And one of the things that was really important to me was finding somebody that not just could, could do what I needed them to do, but really, really shared the vision for the company like, and building something that didn't exist, culture, team, workplace. And so they were from square one, super, super aligned. Just our, our, our priorities around like why we were doing this were, were so aligned. And so I think that's, that's super important from day one, because then you can have those conversations about why we're doing what we're doing. And then, you know, specifically get into roles like your your role is to do this your role is to do this and and my role and, and this is not the case for every ceo but a big part of my job is going out there and and being uh, speaking on behalf of the company and, and casting the vision and and raising awareness of what we're doing especially now and then as we grow i hope that everybody's li that's listening will will hear more of us more from us and and, and more from more of us more people right. that are on the team and, and that's, you know, you'll see different parts of our expertise shine that way. But I think the most important thing, not unlike a marriage, is being able to have tough conversations and say, this is what I'm here to do. That's what you're here to do. Let's make sure we're giving each other feedback. Are we, are we living out our values? Are we living out our culture? If not, how, how are we better? How can I be better? But really respecting what each one of us can do and the value that we play and, and where we can each make the greatest impact on the business and letting each other go and be autonomous in that way and supporting each other. I mean, look, when I was out raising money, they were really carrying the torch in a lot of ways and, and making sure that things were running and that I was getting brought in when I needed to and that I was kept up to speed. It's just, I think it all comes back to is relationships and making sure that the relationship is super, super strong because if it's not, you're right. There are going to be, you know, this person is getting more, you know, speaking opportunities and this person is, you know, getting more attention from the board. And you, you it has to come back to a really, really strong relationship where you can have the tough conversations and know, know that you're all in it for the greater good of, of the, of the business and the team. I think the big thing that you brought up there was those conversations. Like it, it came up too in a recent conversation that at our early stage events that I was having about the board governance, but they were talking about like, Make sure you set regular touch points so that you're talking about things. Like get them out in the open and don't let it happen kind of like ad hoc. Like make sure that there are regular touch points where these things happen. Because what I've seen, uh, 
I always bring up these things that are going to get me in trouble, but at even very large successful companies, there can be a lot of like weird hidden resentment Mm -hmm. between senior executives about what exactly what Jordan was talking about, like who gets to be the face of the company, who's speaking on the company's behalf and, you know, who's perceived Mm -hmm. as the leader or whatever. So if you're not discussing those and being intentional about them, they're going to show up in different ways, right? So is this your way of telling me something, Daryl? It's my way of telling me that Jordan just like ignores my desire to be more. No, come on. It's not about TechCrunch. I'm joking. We're the odd couple. We actually have a great, we have a great working relationship, me and Jordan. Jordan just like slacks me, hey, do these things. And I go, okay. And then I do them. And I don't ask for any publicity. And that's how I shower him with praise because it's. That's, That's a rare right. situation, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think too, it's it's really important. The flip side of all that, like you know, conversations and making sure everybody knows what role they play, and and t- you know, tough conversations. It's also really, really, really important to lift each other up. And mm. this is not about me. This is, and it's not even about the three of us as founders. It's about our entire team. And when you have people that are very, very cognizant of that and very conscious of that. Anytime you do have the opportunity to talk about it, um, that's super important too, because it, you know, it's, it's, it is not, a bad, we wouldn't be where we are without the incredible, incredible team that, that we have. I, I wouldn't be a founder. I, I might be an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't be a successful one if it weren't for, you know, the founders that came alongside me and, and the team that that's come on board too. And creating a culture too, where like you can be the one who receive is on the receiving end of a hard conversation. Cause I think that's hard, mm-hmm. like for founders, especially founders of early stage companies, it's hard for all of us. Let's be real. Right. It's hard to be someone who's like talking to someone in a leadership position and say like, Hey, here's some feedback about something you did that I didn't love or that I wish you would do differently. Yeah. And it's hard to be on the other end of that as well. Cause you're like, you, you're almost kind of trying to project this sense of, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing what's best for the company. Mm-hmm. I'm doing what's best for you. Making mistakes almost feels like, well, can you trust me in the future? It's a hard like balance to strike of saying, it is. I mm-hmm. can correct things, but you can still trust me. How have you like opened yourself up to that as well, right? Like not just being lifted up, but like yeah. having your co-founders, the people on your team or your board, like come to you and say like, hey, let's shift this. Yeah. And how do you do that like emotionally, personally as well? Oh, goodness. I think, hmm, it's a good question. It's partially just who I am and I think who we are. As founders, but I think how I think how that shows up as a leader is being transparent about it. I mean, obviously, to your to your point, you you can't go and say I made this mistake. Everybody just want you all to know about it. But we, here's here's a good example. So we we talk about going back to the office. Lots of people are talking about that. We don't have an office right now. We haven't since you know March. We were lucky enough to have a lease that expired June first, and we just haven't gone back. But we're talking about it, and all I said to the team is like, look. All I can promise you, literally the only promise I can make is that we will mess up, you know, is that we're going to try things. And what I ask from you in return is that you'll be flexible and you provide feedback, right? So if we go and we say, we're going to do this thing and we're, you're going to come in on this day and and then this team's going to come in this day, like we'll get feedback and people will be hurt. People will be confused. People will be frustrated. People won't agree. And all I ask is that, you know, you provide feedback and let us know how it's going as opposed to just letting it go. And that's important. We also have a thing that I know a lot of other companies do too, which is disagree and commit. Mm. So, you know, we have the tough conversation. We talked through literally yesterday, the, the three of us as founders were talking about just a, a situation that we had and the two of them agreed. And I was like, look, 
disagree and commit situation. Here's my thoughts. Here's where I'm going with it. Here's my concerns. But I, I trust you and I've, I've aired my grievances and you won't, you won't hear about it again. I will disagree and I will commit and I'm not going to come back and say, I told you so later on. And I think that's really, really important too. And I, th- I think you just having, again, having tough conversations, building a relationship across the board so that people, if, if anyone on the team does have a conflict with me or about me, that even if they don't feel like they can come to me, which I hope they do, they feel like they can go to their, their leader and say, Hey, Lindsay said this, it made me upset. And, and then being really public about, about feedback or a time that I messed up or something that I'm you know, worried about, but in a way that still people feel like, okay, she's sharing this with me, but I still feel confident about where we're going yeah. because of you know, what she also shared about what she's doing about it. So, yeah. You can't just be like, I'm constantly messing up terrible. And here are all the dumb things I've done. <laughs> no, there is, By the way, yeah, I'm leaving. There's like a, tru- <laughs> a trust engenderment, right? And like intimacy that's mm-hmm. built by saying like, oh yeah, I did. I am worried about this, right? But I'm thinking of a plan and I want to know what your plan is or whatever. Yep. That actually can build trust if it's used <laughs> infrequently. And I yes. love the idea of disagree and commit. I, I like I, that's something I've mm. been like dealing with. And I uh-huh. feel like now there's a name for it. Oh, it was a big Shopify value too. And I had some funny meetings. <laughs> I could tell you. I th- there may have been times where I loudly decried, disagree and don't commit. <laughs> that sounds like you. No. Well, yeah. and as my, be- as my best friend, Brene Brown would say, and I keep saying that she's my best friend because one of these days it'll come to fruition. I'm just putting it out into the universe. And then retrospectively, it it'll all be accurate. Yeah. She'll be like, oh, I didn't realize we were friends. And I'll be like, yeah, don't. this whole time. For years. We've been fr- Literally, I've been talking. Talking about you, but she talks a lot about that too. And, and Dare to Lead is—I highly recommend it. Everybody, she talks about a lot about that. There's there's vulnerability and there's oversharing. You know, there's there's building there's a, there's authenticity and being genuine and saying, look, you know, I'm I'm worried about this too, but but here's what we're doing about it. Here's why you can trust and where we're going, even though there's uncertainty. Versus like I'm scared too. Ah, right, right. Let's <laughs> all be know? scared together. Let's all let's be scared because yeah, because when you feel when people feel like there's no one, you know, driving the ship, that's scary. Except yeah. for like, look, this is we've got some turbulence ahead, but I got you. We've got this. We're gonna, we're in it together. That's very different things. Yeah, yeah, I think change management is like one of honestly the most difficult things that any leader in any company has to deal with. Like. You know, again, oversharing, but me and Jordan have been dealing with this as well at TechCrunch. And I've had those exact same conversations with people. Like, I know this is scary. It's it's definitely going to be uncomfortable because it's a change, right? And Mm -hmm. everyone's going to feel that. I feel that personally. But, like, here's our idea behind the change and here's where we want to get to. So that's why we're doing it, right? And that's so important is sharing the why. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're still going to encounter situations where people are like, well, I'm distrustful of that change and I'm going to just reserve that. Right. But hopefully on the whole, that's not everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Hopefully on the whole. God, you're giving me anxiety. Stop talking about it. I know. I love it. This is great. These these podcasts are great because they're just like internal culture meetings. Essentially. Yeah. Me and Daryl get too much inside into each other's head. (laughs) Lindsay, I did. I want to ask about, because you mentioned, you know, you're remote, but you're also, you know, based in Indianapolis too, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. we obviously cover a lot of companies and then the, on the whole, they tend to locate in the Valley, I think, right? But I'm not in the Valley and Jordan's not in the Valley. So we, we try to make sure the the perspective is broader. But like, how was it for you founding this technology company in Indianapolis and then also the fundraising process? Was that a challenge yeah. for you or did you work with Valley investors or like, how did that go? Yes. So let's see, I'm from Michigan, 
lived in Chicago for a few years before moving to Indianapolis. And when I moved here, it was right around the time that Exact Target was being acquired by Salesforce and just tons and tons of MarTech talent had been grown here. And I I was kind of blissfully unaware in Chicago that this was all happening. And then I came here and I was like, wow, this is great. This is this is awesome. So yes, Indianapolis starting a company here has been fantastic. The talent that's here, especially in MarTech, especially in SaaS, is incredible. Um, being able to hire people that are here, that are excited, that have experience, not only in SaaS, not only in MarTech, but also in a startup and understand what that means. And they're they're excited to grow something. That's been fantastic. Raising capital. I don't know it any other way. I don't know what it's like to, <laughs> to, to be anywhere else. But it was, it, especially, you know, throughout 2020, it's been fine. I mean, it's, I don't think it was any easier or harder than it would have been, except that I did it all here. I'm in my, my house right now. Uh, there were times that, you know, my kids were also here, which made it interesting, but you know, I wasn't on a plane flying across the country for somebody who was just going to tell me no. Right. It, it allowed me to have, I talked earlier about like the, the key for me was as many conversations cast a wide net. I was able to cast a really wide net because people weren't, no one was expecting anyone to get on a plane. No one was expecting to, to meet in person that made some of the conversations much longer and more drawn out. I had, I had a lot of investors tell me like, look, this, we would have had a decision by now, but this is just like, we haven't met you. And so bear with us as we figure this out. And I was like, that's that's fine. Like I will gladly have, you know, six zoom calls with you instead of three flights out to the Bay area. And, you know, even if it makes for a faster decision, because especially as a strapped, you know, young company, Zoom Zoom calls a lot cheaper. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's been interesting, especially for our geography. We definitely had as, as much interest as I think we would have had. I think we had some people. I know I had some investors that, you know, kind of forget where you're located. And they're like, remind me where you are. And I'd say Indianapolis. And they're like, oh. And so there was, I think there was some pleasant surprise about mm. what was spinning out of the middle of the country. But I think especially from pandemic land that we're all, you know, hopefully coming out of, I think that there's a lot we're seeing. We're seeing it everywhere. A lot more curiosity about what else exists and where talent has has relocated to and and what's possible you know between the coasts and that's that's great and my experience here has been fantastic i've spoken to a lot of investors who have just said the one positive thing to come out of the pandemic for them is that they are their deal flow is so much more efficient in terms of travel and time away from family, mm-hmm. everything else. And also their Oculus is so much wider. Like they're able yeah. to speak to companies that they otherwise never would have been introduced to or encountered or whatever. Yeah. So Which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I would assume the downside for VCs is that there is so much more competition because a founder now can take 30 meetings a day from pretty much anywhere as opposed to having the costs associated with going to Sand Hill Road and the time spent and traffic, yep. et cetera. And so there's just like yeah. so many more companies have access to these meetings, which means they can meet way, way, way more VCs, which means more VCs are competing for those deals as well. So, Which is good yeah. for founders. It is. Lindsay, it's been a pleasure having you. This is a really, really great conversation. And Likewise. I, I have to admit, my startup idea prompted by my brother-in-law was you should make internal podcasts just for like team building, culture building as like a service or whatever. And I was like... Oh no, when I saw your company, I'm like, oh no, they already did this basically. (laughs) 
it's B2B, but it could just be a feature of their platform. Yeah, so we just partner up. It's great. Well, I mean, I was just going to say you can have that idea for free because of my risk oh, aversion. Yeah, we, yeah. And me perfect. and Jordan will just we don't start sit companies. back here. We sit in the valley. We could be advisors. With almost fine. no experience. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so funny, too, that she said what motivated her was that someone might go build it first. And then she did that to you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I mean, I never would have built it. But yeah, it's been lovely. And I think, you know, is there anything that you wanted to kind of like share for perspective, kind of like people thinking about like, hey, should I do this or not? Like in the lines of either motivating or like, what should their decision criteria be, I guess? Just knock them down if you want. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it is hard. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever done before. That said, I would, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Well, I would have made this choice again. I don't know if I'll start another company. We'll see that. But, um, <laughs> I, again, I, I know I said it already, but the question that I tell all prospective founders to ask themselves is what if somebody else did this instead? You know, what if somebody else pursued this idea instead? Would you, would you applaud and say, yep, it's about time. Like I had that idea and I'm so glad somebody finally did it. Or would you say there went, there went my chance. Like if you can't imagine not doing it, you can't imagine somebody else doing it instead. There, there's, there's your answer. And that if you ask yourself, could I do this? That opens up a whole can of worms. But if you ask yourself, could I live with not doing this? That's, that's the question. Isn't that great? That was our. <laughs> that was just to make it sound even better with the beautiful ASMR sounds of a piece of paper rubbing against itself. Which I I don't know. Is that one of the ones? I don't. I'm not really. This I isn't think my can be one. genre. It's just about how you deliver it. The whisper talk. Yeah. So all the silliness <laughs> is because Lindsay sounded great. It was a an achievement, an auditory achievement, but it was also a really fantastic conversation. And Lindsay is one of the founders that I think started out with the clearest vision and maintains that clear vision at this stage, even in the company, right? Like it seemed to be exactly what the market was looking for. Yeah. Lindsay has definitely got something really hot with this platform and I'm excited to see where she goes. I also just really appreciated her talking us through like how anxiety inducing it was to like mm. really take the leap and start the company, but also that piece of her that was like, I'm sure it's hard to do both at one time and, and to so eloquently explain that feeling as well. And I thought that that was really cool. So I hope everybody enjoys this episode. I know I did. For sure. And I hope she takes my idea and I hope she makes a lot of money of that. And then like out of the kindness of her heart, I guess at some point is just like, Daryl, here's, here's a big check for maybe $10 million or something. I think that would wow. be reasonable. It's ambitious <laughs> as hell. You start starting to sound like a main character is what you're doing. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I'm supporting cast only. Jordan, you'll always be the main character in my book. <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Edrington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ishad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovet. Our guest this week was Lindsay Chepkema, co-founder and CEO of Casted. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>